0: Well, good morning. I was looking forward to coming and speaking with you this morning. Um, It doesn't have to do with the fact that after I'm done, I'm on vacation. (laughs) I know what some of you are thinking like, yes, short message. He wants, right? Um, No, I I look forward to it just because I enjoyed the preparation of you know, looking at James and, and just this whole series, gotten a, a lot of good feedback on the series. And James is just one of those books. It may be uh, the only book in the New Testament other than Philemon that has the least amount of doctrine and theology, um, but it doesn't mean it's uh, void of uh, value because it is full of application, you know, of theological application, and it rests on very sound doctrine, and theology. And and so we're going to continue in that series today. Uh, There's just a few more of these left. We're going to look at 10 verses today in chapter 4 of James. And so as we do that, I want to get Bibles in your hands as we do every week. So if you do not have one, the ushers are coming down. Uh, If you forgot it, go ahead and take one. You can return it at the end. Or if you don't have one, please take one. It's our gift to you. We believe the words in there are true, and they will lead you into a relationship with Christ, one who loves you dearly. But let's jump in. I mean, James doesn't mix words. He just comes right at you, and so we're going to jump right in. Uh, Verse 1 of chapter 4, I want to read the 10 verses to you so that you kind of get a, a big picture, and then we'll come on in and look at a few pieces here. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I've been in a few fights in my life, believe it or not. You know, like, Rob, you're small. Uh, One of them was a boxing match. I don't have the crooked nose to show for this, but it was in a boxing match at my house. In my room, my brother and I shared a room together, and we would think of every game you could ever think of, we'd we'd do it, we'd invent it, we'd play that in our room or we'd go outside. But on this day, and I forgot how we got this gift, but the gift that we had was a set of boxing gloves. And so being the wise older brother that I am, I said, John, why don't you take the boxing gloves and I'll use my fists? You see where this is going, don't you? Uh, So we started exchanging blows, and his are just bouncing off of me, right? He caught on real quickly that mine were hurting a whole lot more than his. And all of a sudden, we're just exchanging blows, and mom had to come in and separate her two sons because they were fighting. Siblings were fighting. That is what James is getting at here. His readers are Christians brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are fighting with one another, and he wants to address that. This whole fighting amongst Christians is all too common. You read about the first century church, right? Read Acts. But then you got a bunch of letters by Paul telling the churches, what are you doing? You shouldn't be treating them like this. You should be doing that. This is the godlike way. So Christians have been fighting Christians for a long time. Look at church church history. You see the splits in the East and the West in Europe. You see the Roman Catholics and the Protestants fighting, and then they're all fighting amongst themselves. And what we have now, if you go to the World Christian Encyclopedia, it says there are 33,000 Christian denominations in the world. Wow. I mean, you cut that in half, it's still a lot. We fight amongst ourselves. There was an article right here in North Carolina. I don't know if any of you are from Fletcher, North Carolina. Christians having fights here. It was uh, from the Blue Ridge Times. Uh, The police were called into uh, Fletcher because a series of fights broke out late after the morning service. It took 30 police officers five agencies across counties to come in, and there were 80 people surrounding all everything that was going on. You want to find the Christians, just look for who is fighting, right? That's where you'll find the Christians. And so James starts out with a question like he did last time. Verse 1, what causes the quarrels and fights among you? He doesn't expect an answer. It's a rhetorical question. He wants his readers to think, And to ponder, why am I fighting? What's going on? Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at issues that his readers had. Gossip was going on. Materialism. Favoritism. Unwise decisions. All of those issues. And James is like, instead of helping one another out and uniting together, here you are splintering with one another and causing these uh, fractions amongst yourselves. And he's trying to get them to stop and and meditate on or ask yourself the question, why am I doing this? But he doesn't pause long enough. He jumps right into the answer. Look at the second part of verse 1 going into 2. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight couple of things i noticed about james he doesn't he doesn't stop and say you know why you're fighting it's because the other guy is a blockhead he doesn't say you're fighting because your hormones are raging he doesn't say you're fighting because you woke up on the wrong side of the bed you had a bad day at work you don't fight because you have a demon of anger in you he doesn't do that and when you look at the rest of his letter he was dealing with very specific issues when you and i would talk to somebody you go we'd say tony Steve, get over here. Here's how you're going to do He doesn't do that in, this, in his letter. Almost as if to say the issue at hand isn't significant at all. It's something much deeper. Matter of fact, if I told you how to fix that one particular thing, you'd end up right back in the same spot that you are right now. And so he's, he's saying there's a deeper problem there's something, there's, we got to get to the source of what's going on. And he says, why you're fighting is this. You're fighting because of the desires within yourself that you're battling with. That word desire, the Greek word is the same word we get hedonism from. That's where the chief purpose in life becomes fulfillment of my pleasures. Everything that I want I go out and, and get. It's all about fulfilling what one needs. And James is saying, that cannot be your goal. That cannot be your chief goal. You've got to look at that. And he cuts right to the core and basically says, you and I fight for one reason, because we don't get what we want. I remember um, in 1983, I remember the date, I was a junior in high school, and my dad's a professional musician. So I, this whole year, I wanted a, a Stradivarius Bach Model 72 lightweight silver trumpet. I'd been playing this heavyweight Holton horn since like second grade. And I figured my dad's the band director. He can get a discount on this thing. And so I lobbied all summer, all fall, and I thought for sure that I was going to get this Bach model 72. And so when aunts and uncles and everybody's putting mom and dad are putting stuff under the tree, there it was. I was sure that it was a Strat model 72 because it looked, the package size was just right. And I remember Christmas day, tearing that thing open. And you know what I got? I wanted to bring it today. I don't know if mom or dad still has it. It was a set of luggage. (laughs) You know, like the big one has another one in it and another one in it. I was so mad. Mom and dad, everybody else get what they wanted. And I get luggage. <laughs> it's not what I expected. Now, it's what I needed because I was going away to college. And I used that luggage at college and on trips and, all, and when I got married. But that, my desire was not met. There was this battle going on and I was upset. And we get mad when our expectations are are not met and James is trying to get us to look at what's controlling our hearts because what's controlling our hearts also starts to dictate our actions so it's not necessarily that what we want is a bad thing but when it comes with the attitude that says I'm not getting what I want I'm gonna fight for it no matter what then we can start to have a problem that uh, James is not talking about, you need to hear this. He's not talking about some of you are fighting for your kids. Some of you are fighting for truth. I mean, you see Christ get angry. When he says, in your anger, do not sin. But that's not what James is talking about here. That He's talking about you fighting just for what you want. And when you don't get it, you get upset. It's that kind of attitude. Because it starts to shape our view of God and our relationship with God. When we have that, all of a sudden God becomes a Pez dispenser. Give me this. Give me that. God is good if this happens. That's when it becomes a problem. James says you're going about it in all the wrong way. Look at verse 2 and 3. You don't have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. He's saying, listen, you're not getting what you want for two reasons. One, you're so busy chasing what you desire, or you're so busy fighting for what you desire, you're not even spending time with me. You're not even praying to me, talking to me. Come, talk to me. Again, built on sound doctrine, echoes of Jesus saying, ask, seek, knock. Spend time with me, is what he's saying. You're going about it in the wrong way. Number two, your motives What you're asking for, it's almost, James is almost saying, if we can put it in today's language, you're praying like this. You're praying, Lord, I played the lottery, and I hope I win because I'm going to give half to you. And, uh, whoa, that's a big number. I'm going to give you 10%. And, you know, you just see where it goes. They don't win, but it's me, 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 me. We can't get into the prayer part. I think it's in the last one where we'll look at chapter 5, and he talks about prayer. But all of a sudden, we're looking outside of ourselves for the problem because we want to get something for ourselves. And James is saying a lot of times in life, the issue starts right in here. And James is good at putting the mirror up in front of us and saying, Look, look, Rob, what's going on? Stop looking out here. Look right in here. And if he hasn't hit us hard already by what he said, verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Ouch. He's saying, you adulterer. That, that is harsh, harsh language. It was written to like stir and jar the reader to get their attention. He uses marital language. But that's, that's common. When you look in Scripture, God talks about his people in a marital way. You go to the Old Testament, Isaiah 54. He says, your maker is your husband, like we are his wife. In the New Testament, you read in Revelation and Ephesians about the bride of Christ. And so he uses this adultery, not in a sexual way, but in a spiritual unfaithfulness. Because with adultery, the love that was promised for someone is given to someone else and that's what he's getting here getting to here and there's there's a fact there's a truth that when we when what we desire with a desire for certain things when it replaces our love for God and starts to control our heart you can guarantee that your relationships will be affected there will be conflict in your relationships, When you desire certain things, when that desire gets more than the love of God and it starts to control you, expect conflict in your relationships. Because that false focus affects our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. He talks about this in verse 4 after saying, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? And anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? I read that and I'm like, whoa, where did John 3.16 go? For God so loved the world. It, am I not to do that? Is James calling us not to love? But you see, the word world was translated in a couple different ways in, in the Bible. It's like, the way we use some of our words. You can say, what what a sick move he did. Now, I don't know if we use sick anymore, like the teenagers are here, but they could confirm or deny. But that meant like, wow, that move on the skateboard blew my mind. It was a sick move. Or you say, he was sick. Well, in the same way world here in Scripture can be translated and, and mean three different things. First of all, It's God's creation, the planet. God created the world. The second um, meaning it can sometimes mean is people. Christ died for the sins of the world. But the last one deals with world being kind of translated for a system. And in this case, talking about a world that's under the control of Satan and everything wicked and opposed to God. That kind of world, we are to reject flat out. And the reality is, if the world's over here and God's over there, here's the reality. By default, if we start to love the world and being drawn in by all the, you know, it can be a career, it can be relationships, it can be people liking, all there's so many different things. As we move toward the world and love the world more, then we got less love for God. That's what he's trying to say. By default, you love the world more, you're loving God less. And he says, look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing. Echoes of Jesus again. I love this. Sound doctrine and theology. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, right? You're going to love the one or hate the other. The problem is our heart does not have room for bo- both, and God wants our full devotion. He wants this to be all for Him and nobody else. We give out of our love for Him, but you see, when we start to give for somebody, give toward the world, we have less for God. He sets a very high standard, but the the neatest thing is that he provides to meet that standard. But his standard is so high that he's jealous. Read verse 5. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sometimes I've talked to people and they said, God jealous? I don't want to follow a God who's jealous like a little baby, like a kid. That, you know, and when you think of that picture, you think of an insecure teenager or an insecure adult where, you know, what are you doing? What did they say? Did they like me? Where are you going? That kind of thing. That's not the way God is jealous. The way, what's meant here, God is jealous like this. Like a husband telling a wife, you should not be dating other men. That's what he means. I think that you should be getting uh, your needs and, and desires met through our relationship. Don't date other men. That is a reasonable request, right? Husband and wife? Yes, it's a good thing. That's the way that God is jealous. But like I said, notice it says, but I give you more grace. He has a high uh, standard, but he will provide all that is needed to meet and exceed that love and devotion for him. But, he says, if you are proud, if you think that you don't need grace, then we'll be in opposition to each other. If you've got pride, and, and pride's that thing is where you say, I don't need you, God. I don't need uh, anybody else's help. I don't think I need relationships. I'm old enough in life. I should be able to say whatever I want to say. I'm sick of it. I'm old enough, wise enough. I don't need people. I don't necessarily have to get into your word. That's pride. And God's saying, if that's you, if you're coming with that attitude, we're going to be on different teams. (laughs) I'm going to oppose you. Instead, he said, come humbly. Be humble. Last week, right? Do you want wisdom? James says, be humble. The lack of humility led to unwise decisions. Today, he's saying, do you, want grace? do you want peace and grace? Come humble. Be humble. But the lack of humility is leading to your conflict. That's why you're going through what you're going through. And you, Christ followers, should want God to be near to you. Because when he's near, when I'm near to God, my heart changes. It's just a reality. Verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so he moves. We get through, what, eight verses. He moves, spends all this time at the beginning about the cause. Then he kind of sails into him a little bit, you know. And then we get to the spot and he's saying, kind of unpacking what it means, what would coming humbly look like. And he rattles off, if you look there in 8, 9, and 10, rattles off 10 commands. These Greek verbs, when you look at it, they're a call for immediate action, a response. Words like submit, resist, come near, wash, purify, grieve, mourn, wail, change, be humble. That Grieve, turn your laughter and all, grieve, mourn, and wail? Come on. You know, usually we're trying to get away from that. But you see, there's good grief. There's good conviction. The good conviction will allow you to reflect in and then move toward God. And that's what James is saying here. See what you're doing. Do you see the difference? Do you feel like you're far from God? Look at what you've been doing realize it, internalize it. Because how are you ever going to know that there is this chasm? And how are you ever going to take that step if you don't realize what you're doing? And so he's calling their attention to it and saying, feel it. And then he says, resist the devil. See, Satan's really, really, really clever because he doesn't work in, like, huge ways. He's going to do the little thing he's going to make it very attractive and you're just going to drift slowly because of these things of the world they look real good they look right and reasonable and all of a sudden you're just going to follow him and he would be more than happy to have you do this because the longer your eyes are on the world you're not going to experience the love and the grace and the joy of god and so James says, resist. And fr- I'm so glad that God is bigger than Satan. The victory's won, and I have the strength to resist Satan. Resist Satan, he says, in the last one, submit yourselves to God. There's a difference between submitting and obeying what God uh, tells us to do. It's important, obviously, to do that, but there's a difference there. James could have just said, do this, this, and this. But he doesn't. He says submit. And submit means to arrange under. So if I am to submit who, my life, I am to arrange myself under the authority and the power of God. And when I do that, what does that look like in this contest, context? It looks like this. Lord, I just want, I want to zing after this person because I can't stand them. That's what I want to do. But I know it's not about me and what I feel like. That's not the important thing. The important thing is where you want me to go with this. And so I surrender to you and ask you to guide my steps. That is submitting to God. And when you do that, He will draw, draw near. That's what the Bible calls Repentance. When you look, you go to Acts 3, and and Peter's with the onlookers, and he says, repent and turn toward God for the, the washing of your sins and the refreshing of your life. Repentance. The early church, big into symbolism, there was one baptism ritual among many, but this one would have the one who placed their faith in Christ put their back toward the water. And they would face out this way and they would say three times, I renounce Satan. I renounce Satan. I renounce Satan. And then they would go blow and spit. And then they would turn and say, I have been joined with Christ. I have been joined with Christ. I have been joined with Christ. I I believe him as king and lord what a powerful picture of that submitting and resisting and just having a heart that wants to to please god there were two people last week at west were baptized through this the symbolism of the water they that day last week so powerful they through the water, they were dying to sin, right? in Christ's death and burial. And then they came up out of that water, raised to life, new life. And what a moving service. Lots of comments from people about what it meant. We're going to have one uh, ourselves here on August 21st. And if you have never followed him in baptism, I would encourage you, just on that WhatsApp card, just say, I want to talk more about baptism. But it's a very pictorial representation of, of repentance and, and the new life. So James says, hey, what causes fights and quarrels among you? It comes from within. Stop, Rob. Stop looking at symptoms, the conflict. Stop looking out there. It's in here. Start, stop treating the symptoms because treating the symptoms is like um, taking Advil for a toothache. I did that for like a whole year and just in February, you know, it would wear off. The pain would come back, and I'd put more Advil, and eventually, it got worse. James said, don't let it get worse. Deal with it. Get to the source, and the source is the thing that you're putting yourself away from God. You're making decisions that are putting yourself over here. Come here to him. Come humbly. Don't wait. And I'd say to you, don't wait start dealing with what's in here. I'm going to call Joel up. I'm not sure uh, where he is, but if Joel, if you would come and um, he's going to play his guitar just in the background. And what I want to do is just have a, prayer, uh, a time of prayer where I can pray and you, you can pray. You just sit there. For some of you, are like, I, I don't know what to pray for because I'm so upset. I got all this stuff going on. If that's you, maybe uh, we put some words down up there. Maybe you're just going to stare at those and you're going to begin by just uttering those words there. Others, I uh, just just pray how you normally pray, eyes open, head bowed, whatever it is. But I'm going to guide us through this time, because I love what you know Peter said, "Turn toward God." And James was said, "Turn toward him." And there's this thing about the washing. your sins and the refreshing of the soul. There's a freedom about that. So let me just kind of guide us through a time of prayer. Father, I just thank you that uh, you are one who understands us so well and you know that fights and quarrels are not not one that does us any good, nor does it do uh, representation of your son, uh, any good. It just tears us apart, tears the world. They look and say, what hypocrites. And so we just, we come before you now, and maybe it's for the first time that we're saying, Lord, come in and help me see those desires, whatever they may be, that have grown so strong in my life that they have started to take the place of my love for you. Help us in this time. Spirit, speak to us of what those desires may be. seeing you know James talks about grieving and mourning it's heavy we're seeing kind of what we've done and I just pray for everybody that's here to call upon you and, and thank you for that grace that you give through your son Jesus Christ we give you thanks for that and we just pause as we continue to just lavish you gratitude. Wants to say amen right now and end the prayer. But it's important that we do this next step. And that is to pray for the other person that we may be quarreling and fighting with. Just as I need your grace, and just as I need you, your power, your truth, they they need you too. And so we pray in these moments, we pray for a specific person, some of you have that person in mind and we stop and pray A short time, and I pray that the conversation doesn't stop here. But uh, each of us would continue to talk to you. Above all, we pray that by our love for one another, they will see your son, and the result will be people will be running near to Christ, connecting with Christ because a life that's touched by him. <laughs> be transformed, and so will the people that they're in contact with, and that's our deepest desire. Start with us, and when we look within and deal with the heart, it helps us to deal with the other person, and all of it, may you be glorified, and it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.